But we're going to talk about the gospel message. And, and here's how I want to just set that up, is ask you, what is the, the best news that you've ever gotten before? What's, what's the best news that you've gotten? We all like to receive good news, right? I mean, that's something that each of us enjoys getting. Maybe it's, hey, you got the job. I got some texts this week that, hey, I got a job. It's good news. Or maybe it's, um, so a couple weeks ago, we got a, a, a little thing in the mail that said there's a class action lawsuit and apparently... We're going to get some money for something. I mean, it's not much. We just got one recently for Naked Juice Company. It was like $2. Um, but, you know, it's good news. Like, wow, I wasn't expecting this. This is good news. We all like good news. It's something that all of us um, just appreciate. It can make a bad day be bright. It can make a uh, smile. It can make your frown turn upside down. It can do all sorts of nice and, and fun things, right? We like good news. And it's not even just that we like it. But we have even cultural traditions that we've built around the idea of sharing good news. So think about if somebody has a baby, they send out a baby announcement and say, look, good news, here's a baby. Or I'm getting married, they send out an announcement. Or I'm graduating, they send out an announcement that we like to share good news. We've built cultural traditions around the idea that we love good news. And so let's figure out how we can even share good news. And so the gospel, the word gospel, means good news. This is the concept, the idea, the reality behind good news is something very central to Christianity. It is absolutely at the core. The gospel, good news, is at the core of everything that the Bible talks about. The gospel, good news, is supposed to be preached, it's supposed to be believed, it's supposed to be all of our lives brought in line with it, that the gospel... The idea of good news is something that the entire faith of Christianity is built around good news. And the gospel is not just any kind of good news, though. It's a particular kind of good news. It's not the same kind of good news like baby baby announcement good news or marriage announcement good news. It's a particular kind. The word gospel has originally military connotations to it. So what that means is that here's how that word would be used outside of the Bible. It would be something along these lines. Imagine this kind of scenario, maybe from a movie or a storybook, or uh, I don't think you've probably lived this, but something where there's a king that is ruling a land, and he's a bad king, he's an evil king, and everybody's enslaved, and everybody is uh, mistreated, and everybody's abused, and that's the kingdom that exists. But... Something happens. A good king comes. He conquers the bad king. He frees the people. He delivers the land. And he's won this decisive victory. He's won this war. Now, how does that spread? It wasn't Twitter or Facebook or texting. So that would spread with people jumping on their horse or running really fast and having their trumpet and and evangelizing, which meant sharing the good news that something decisive has happened. So the word gospel is good news coming into the context of bad news. You follow that? Does that make sense? It's not just good news of, hey, I had a baby, or hey, I had a marriage, or hey, I graduated. It's good news coming into the context of bad news. That something changes that wasn't there before. That something decisively good happens when there was a bad situation. So here's, here's what Paul says is 
the gospel. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. See, this is a particular kind of good news. And here's the thing, if we don't understand the context, and I shared about it last week to an extent, but if we don't understand the context of the bad news, then the good news is not that good. If we don't understand what the previous bad situation was that the good news came into, then it doesn't seem all that good. Think about it like this. I was thinking, um, just because it is a military type of word, of uh, think about American history and different military things. So here's good news. They signed the Declaration of Independence. But if that's all you know, it might sound like, okay, that, that sounds good, but you don't know the whole backstory. You don't know about the Redcoats or whatever. You don't know about that stuff, right? Or let's fast forward. The Americans landed on Normandy. Okay, that sounds good news if you say it passionately and excitedly. But if you don't know the bad news, there's not enough context. I mean, it's just, okay, so sweet. The Americans are on the beach. That's great. That's World War II in case you didn't know what I was talking about. I know some of you do, but some of you look confused. Or uh, I remember, you know, more recently, this on TV, the statue of Saddam Hussein falling to the ground. Okay, people cheering, people excited. Okay, good news. But what was the bad news? So unless, with this kind of news, it needs context. With this kind of news, we have to understand what the particular context is in order to get why it's so good. If you just hear... The scans are clean. They found the girl. If you just hear those things, but you don't know what the bad news was, it's not as exciting. It's not as moving. If you don't understand how we are personally involved in what the bad news is, the good news is not as good. You make, does that make sense? Okay, so what's the bad news? Well, that's what we have to look at. What is the bad news? Bad news, okay? So what is the bad news? In case you were confused about what we're talking about on this point, there it is. So what is the bad news? How are we personally involved in something bad that we need good news for? Well, here's what the Bible says. Here's what Paul teaches in Romans. He says this, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, and that's just a way of describing everybody, both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written, Now listen to how bad this situation sounds, okay? Try to hear this with fresh ears if you've heard this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. This is now getting into particulars. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. 
So there's violence, there's words, there's bitterness, there's turning aside, there's not understanding, there's not seeking, there's not righteousness, there's not goodness. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that doesn't mean fear as in terror, but there's no awe and reverence and respect of God before their eyes. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That means there's nothing that we can do about it. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which what that means is this. God is glorious. He's supposed to be worshipped and honored and thanked and praised and rejoiced in and have our lives built around him and celebrated. But instead we fall short of that glory Meaning that we do that with other things. We honor and thank and worship and build our lives around and rejoice in and love other things falling short of God's true glory. So this is the position that we find ourselves in. This is the position of all humanity and of us in particular. That we are sinners and that we are held accountable to God. It is not just that that we do bad things, but rather we are held accountable to God for what we do. That we have, it says, turned aside from God. And I like that it has that description in there because that is kind of a, an overarching category that we turn aside from God. So maybe you read that list and go, well, I have, my feet are not swift to shed blood and I do not have um, asp venom in my lips And so that's not me, but what about turning aside from God? Which we do by not trusting God, thinking my way is better than God's way is. We do that by not believing God's love for us. That's a way to turn aside from God. We do that by not loving God. We do that by disobeying God. We do that by, we do that by saying, okay, God, sure, you're there, but I'm going to kind of live my own life. Turning aside from God. So, if you have, if you're married or if you have children, a way to turn aside from your spouse or your child or your friends, a way to turn aside from them is to just ignore them. So how have we turned aside from God? The world is turned aside from God. And maybe you say, well, I don't believe in this kind of God. I don't believe in the kind of God that says we're going to be held accountable to him and that we're bad and that we're evil. I don't, I don't believe in that kind of God. Well, here's the thing, that's your choice. And you have obviously every right to believe that. But what I would just say is this, if if this is true, if the God that this book presents is the God, then by saying, I don't believe in that kind of God, I believe in a God that, that's a way of turning aside from God. And what God is it that you do believe in? Where, how do you know that God? What, how do you know that God? Is it a God of a different religion? Is it a God of your own thinking? Or how do you know that God that you've turned to that you say, I believe in this kind of God? Because many people I know say, well, yeah, I believe in the God. I believe in God. Which God? And so we have turned aside. This is the condition that we find ourselves in. And here's what the Paul says just a couple verses later. He says, here's kind of the summary of what happens. The wages of sin, everything we just said, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages of sin, which means the payment 
for sin. The payment that we receive for our sin, for all of those things he just described, for turning aside from God, for falling short of his glory, for all the other things, the payment is death. And I believe that that word death, and we talked about this a little bit last week, that that death means a few different things. It means physical death, that our mortal bodies will actually decay and be in the ground. It means that there will be experiential death, which is to say that things go broken relationally, that they go broken internally, that there's a death we experience in, in just our dealings, fights and arguments and sin, and that we just experience a, a, a living death. And then it means a spiritual death, which is life apart from God forever. That we turn aside from God and we turn aside forever. And so the wages of sin, the payment that we receive for our sin is death. So this is the bad news. This is, this is the bad news that we find ourselves in. This is what the Bible describes as where we are, where we are as a society and where we are as just individuals. And you can think about this in your life right now of death. And you can think about, yeah, I've got sin in my life and it is deserving of death. That might sound harsh, but it's, we're accountable to God that has made us. And it's not us that set the standards, but the one that has made us. So this is the bad news. But we're talking about the good news, right? So what is the, that's the context of the bad news that the good news comes into. And we're going to talk about three different pieces of the good news. So we're going to talk about the way that the good news comes, the difference the good news is between everything else, and finally the result of the good news, which is gospel. Okay, so how does this gospel come to us? How does the gospel come to us? What's the way that it enters in to this bad news that we find ourselves in? Here's the way, okay? It's Jesus. There's the bottom line, right? In case you were on the edge of your seat. The, I mean, in short, it's Jesus. And there's three different parts to the way that Jesus brings the good news. His life, his death, and his resurrection, And so we'll talk about each of those three things. His life, his death, and his resurrection. The good news, the way that it comes to us, is through Jesus. And what we mean by that is his life, his death, and his resurrection. So first, his life, which is the incarnation, that God became man. And here's what it says in Philippians. Paul, writing to this church, says, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who though he was in the form of God, so Jesus was God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. That means he he didn't hang on to all of the, the status that he could have and the powers that he could have, but rather he took on flesh. He became man by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here's what we see in Jesus's life. We've got this bad condition. We've got this bad position that we find ourselves in. And Jesus, God, comes to us. So I want you to think about this. Think about the last fight that you had, or maybe that you're currently in. And this could be a spouse. It could be a parent. It could be a relative. It could be um, a, a work situation. 
And here's what often happens. Two people fight. And then, if it's not resolved, they separate. And this person is over here. And this person is over here. And there's tension. It hasn't been resolved. And there's always that difficulty of who's going to go first. Who's going to say, hey, let's talk about this. Or who's going to say, I'm sorry. And that's hard. It's hard. I mean, our pride wells up within us. Especially we start to think, well, I mean, it's really, it's their fault. So they need to come to me. So no one's experienced this before, just me. Okay, sweet. Um, <laughs> so this is what happens in my life then. You guys can just listen to this. So, but imagine this. What if the person that there's a conflict with is 100% innocent? 100% innocent. We would expect, because this is how we operate, we would expect, well, I am the innocent one, so they need to come talk to me. They need to come apologize to me. They need to come confess to me. They need to come ask for my forgiveness, right? We've got this position where we've turned aside from God. What happens? Jesus, God, comes to us. He does not say, I'm waiting for you. He's not standing there, arms crossed. This is just as true today, by the way, if, if you are in sin and you are sinning, even as a Christian, God's posture towards us is not arms crossed, glare, stare, I'm waiting for you. God comes to us. In Jesus, God came down to us and did not say, work your way to me. But he came down to us. This is, how does the gospel come to us? First, through the incarnation, which means taking on of flesh. God becoming man, entering into our world and saying, I'm not okay with the distance between us. I'm not okay with the unresolved conflict between us. I'm not okay with you turning aside from me. I'm coming to you. That's amazing. It's amazing. So that is the incarnation. Without Jesus being God, then he's just a teacher. He's just a teacher that says, here's what you can do to get to God. But if he's God, he's come down and has the power to save. But he also has to be both God and man. Because if he's not man, then he cannot represent us in order to save us. And I'll tell you more about that point, which is the second part. The incarnation, Jesus' life. And Jesus' death. See, the, the, the wage of sin is death. And that has to be paid for. So if we look at Jesus' life in the incarnation, him coming to us, what we can get from that is he's nice. And we can go, okay, that's, that's compassionate. He took the first step. That's very understanding. That's very sympathetic. That's very generous. But someone still has to pay the wage of sin, which is death. Someone still has to pay for the debt that we owe. Well, can't God just forgive us? Can't he just wipe the slate clean? No. No one can ever just forgive. Forgiveness always has a cost to it that is equal to what the sin is. So think about this. Um, if I, well, I'll tell you a real example that happened just yesterday. We were flying back from Seattle last night, and uh, 
late last flight of the night, our checked bag is gone. It's disappeared. Thank you, Frontier. Do not fly Frontier. Um, even though they're the chief ones. <clears throat> so they lost the bag. Okay? Now, I could say, say, I'm just going to forgive them. Which is not what I'm going to do, just so you know, for the record. But I could say, I'm just going to forgive them. But do I still pay a cost? Yes. I still, if I say, I forgive you, I am absorbing the cost of everything that they did towards me. Someone always pays a cost in forgiveness. Or I could say, I'm going to make you pay. You need to reimburse, you need to you know, refund, whatever. And then I could still forgive them and not hold it against them and still fly frontier and still be happy about the raccoon or whatever their mascot is. I could still forgive them, but somebody always has to pay the cost. This is true on a level of even just words. If, if I call you an idiot, and then I say, hey, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Someone still has to pay that cost. You are absorbing the hurt that that caused you. Or you can make me pay for it by posting on Facebook, Caleb called me an idiot. I think he's an idiot, period. Hashtag idiot or whatever. <laughs> I mean, you can, you, someone has to always pay the cost. Forget, no one can just forgive. Someone always has to absorb the cost. And I'm giving you small examples of luggage and, and idiots and those things. But what about something that is worthy of death? How does that get absorbed? How does that get forgiven? It can't just be, God doesn't just say, well, hey, let's just, let's just forget about it. Someone always has to absorb the cost in order for there to be forgiveness. This is true with us as humans, and it's true between us and God. So we've got this, it's not just that Jesus came to us, but we still have this wage of sin that has to be paid for. And here's what the Bible says. Here's how it describes this condition and what God does with it in Jesus' death. This is the prophet Isaiah before Jesus prophesying what Jesus was going to do. And I want you to listen to what happens with our sin. What happens with the position of sin that we have? Where does it go? How is it forgiven? He, this is Jesus, was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. That is, he put himself in our place. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So he got chastisement and we got peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, again that language of turning aside, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. That means he didn't try to defend himself and get out of it. He went willingly, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Notice those are the things that Paul said that we do. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So what this says is that's what we deserved. But Jesus took that on himself, that he substituted himself. How does the gospel come to us? What's the way that it comes to us? Jesus in his life takes the first step And then he represents us before God saying they deserve all of that, but I take it. I'm not the sinner, they're the sinner, but I pay it. We owe a wage of death and Jesus pays it by taking it on himself. That's amazing. And what this means is this, we're a lot worse than we think we are. Because we think maybe we're kind of bad, but do we think we're bad enough to deserve all that? to be smitten, to be chastised, to, to be crucified? Do we think we're that bad? What this says is we are so bad that God had to die for us. But it says that he's so amazing and he's so good and he's so loving that he, choose, he chose to stand in our place. I mean, that's a phenomenal reality. So that is Jesus's death, the substitution that he brings to us. And and let me say this as a side note. Some of you know this. Some of you know I'm bad and I need saving. I need, I, I, and, and what happens though is then you try to do it yourself. So you feel I'm bad. I feel, you don't have to convince me. I know my position is not good with God. I know it. I've done things. I do things. I, I try to forget about them. I know my position is not good. I know I've turned aside. I know, I know it. Guilty is charged. But then what happens in your life is you try to work that off. You try to say, well, okay, if I'm bad, I've got to fight for it. I've got to make it right. I've got to do good. I've got to, and maybe you don't even think about it in terms of sin. You just think about it in terms of, I kind of feel not okay And so I need to live my life in such a way where I do have worth. I do have value. I do have significance. I can do it. And so you you try to take it on yourself. But at the end of the day, you always still feel the same. Because we need, because we're worse than we think we are. And we need then someone to take our place who is better than we think he is. So that is Jesus' death. And finally, the resurrection So the gospel, the way that it comes to us is through the incarnation, Jesus' life, through his death, his substituting sacrifice for us, and through the resurrection. So Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. 
And here's what Paul says about this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What this says is that God, the Holy Spirit, who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, if we belong to him, dwells in us and has the power to bring life in us. That God dwells with us and creates life in our mortal bodies. Which is to say this, the gospel comes to us through his death, through his life, and through his resurrection. Because the same spirit is now within us, we don't have to experience death in all the different three ways I mentioned. We will experience physical death, but not permanently. We will not experience spiritual death. We will dwell with God forever as we can now with his spirit dwelling in us. And experientially, all the death, all the brokenness begins to be eaten away at through his Holy Spirit living inside of us. The same spirit that raised him from the dead now dwells with us. It's a new power for life and for his presence. This is the resurrection. Okay, so that's the good news. That's how it comes to us, through Jesus. How is this different? How is this different from everything else? How is this good news different from anything else that is out there? Well, here's the thing. There's two fundamental ways that we can look at how to get out of the condition. So if we agree we're in some sort of bad condition, there's some sort of bad news. And I think everybody agrees with this. They don't all describe it the same way. But we all agree, yeah, there's some sort of bad condition we're in. You might call it low self-esteem. You might call it bad morality. Or you might call it what the Bible calls. I mean, but we all kind of agree, yeah, there's some sort of bad condition that we wrestle with. How do we get out of it? Well, here's, what the, here's how the gospel is different. Do you remember, um, when was it, maybe two months ago or three months ago when there was tornadoes here? If you're new to Colorado, yes, we have those occasionally. And there was tornadoes. And here's what happened. I was at my house, and I'm from Seattle originally, and we don't have tornadoes there. We have coffee shortages at the most, and and that's about it. Um, I think there's an earthquake that's supposed to sometime destroy the city, but everyone's thinking it's not going to happen. Um... What am I talking about? Oh, yes, the tornadoes. <laughs> Earthquakes, tornadoes. Okay, so there's tornadoes. And so we're, I'm sitting in my house, and all of a sudden my iPhone starts, bzz, bzz, rah, rah, all these noises, and it says, get in the basement and turn on the news, tornado warning. So I went in the basement and turned on the news and waited for further instructions. <laughs> none, none else came. So I Googled, what do you do in a tornado? Come on, Siri, tell me what else. And... What it's, so it, what happens is outside there's a bad condition. There's a tornado. And what we're told is, you, here's some advice that you can do something about it. Hide under the table, get in the basement, turn on the news. Here's some advice to deal with the bad condition. 
The gospel is not advice. Remember, it's not good advice. It's good news. So good news is, and Siri didn't tell me this, but the good news is the tornado is gone. The tornado is cleared. There's blue skies. You can go outside and play and enjoy life. That's the good news. The gospel is good news. The gospel is there was a tornado. There was something bad and it's been dealt with. Everything else is good advice that says there's something bad and you can deal with it. Here's some things for you to do. You can, you can handle it. And oftentimes I think that gets expressed in two different kinds of ways. It gets expressed in either passions or principles. Okay, So passions is this. We've got a bad condition, but the answer, the advice is this. Just follow your passions. So here's what I mean. The bad condition is described like this. You know, we just live life and we've got low self-esteem. Or we live life and it's so mundane and just dead-end job and it's boring. Or we live life with people trying to create all these rules for us. Trying to, all this authority and all this structure and all this rigidity and all this the man and the system and all this kind of just forcing people into molds. That's the bad condition we're in. And it creates guilt and it creates shame. And when you try to force someone to be what they're not like. And so here's the good advice. Just follow your heart. Follow your passions. Build a bucket list. Do what you want with your life. Be happy. And God might even fit into that picture. God can fit into that picture as someone that says... God will help you be happy. He will help you achieve your passions. God is loving. He's accepting. And that's the bad condition. And the advice is build your life with just being as happy as you can. Follow your passions. On the other hand, there's another group of people. We'll pretend that you are the passion people and you are the principal people. And the principal people say this. They say... There's something wrong. There's a tornado outside. There's a bad condition. And here's what we need to do. We need to follow the right rules. We need to live the right way. That will fix it. We need the right principles to live by. And often, it's even said in the same language of the Bible. People are sinners. And so what they need to do is they need to follow the Bible's rules. You need to love your neighbor. And you need to be like Jesus. And you need to... Be compassionate and you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to follow these principles. That will fix the brokenness. And these people usually don't like these people. And these people think those people are weird. And there's fighting and conflict and that's the world. We've got a bad condition and there's advice out there. Good advice to either follow your passions or follow the right principles to live by what happens if you just try to follow the principles to live by is this though let's say you do it really 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 well you become self-righteous you look at these people that are not following the principles and think that they are fools and they are ignorant and they are weak because you are following the principles or you believe the right advice to follow is to live the right way and live your life by the right principles. But guess what? You fail over and over and over again. And you just sometimes give up. 
That might be where some of you, I know some of your stories, that you left the church because you felt like it was this, this, this. And you just couldn't handle it anymore because you couldn't do it. And it's just despair. And it's hard. Because if your acceptance and your worth and your value is based on living the right way and following the right principles, and that's what gets you out of the bad condition, then you give up. Or you feel horrible. Both of these things, what they have in common is this. They avoid a savior. These people often look to Jesus as an example. They love that he talks about don't judge. And they love that he wears a robe and flip flops. And they love that he's just kind of this challenging the system and challenging the religious system. They love that. And these people over here often look to Jesus as a teacher. What did Jesus say? He said to do this. He said to do that. He said to do this. He said to do that. Great. So they both look to Jesus often as an example, as a teacher, but not as a savior. Not as one that goes, you're in a bad condition and no advice will save you. You're in a bad condition and you need a savior. Jesus is an example. Jesus is a teacher. But much more than that, he's a savior. The gospel is news. This is why it's different from everything else. It's not primarily advice. It's not here's what you do to get out of the bad condition. It's here's what he did to save you. That, that's news. That's the tornado is gone. This is very different. Here's how Paul says it in Ephesians. And you were dead, so here's the bad condition, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Remember, that's Jesus came to us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, that means no, nothing we did. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's not by you living by the right principles. It's not by any of that. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. And say, well, of course God loves me. Of course God will save me. I've earned it. I've lived the right way. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we do do good things, but not to be saved, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, what this tells us is that God is just, so he pays for the sin. 
It must be paid for. We're worse than we think we are. We're dead. We're children of wrath. We're stuck. We're, we deserve death. We're, we're worse than we think we are. And God is just. He will deal with it. But he is not just justice. He is merciful. He is gracious. And he has chosen to deal with it by taking it on himself. He's absorbed the cost himself. So what's the result of all this? What's the result? What, the gospel, the way that it comes to us is through Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. That's the way that it comes to us. The difference is that it is news, not advice. What's the result? Well, to look at the result, let me just return really quick. Back to what we said the bad news was. The fundamental part of the bad news is that we've turned aside from God. It's that we fall short of the glory of God. That God is here and we have lived our lives over here. Loving other things, enjoying other things, rejoicing in other things, building our life on other things, whether that's people, experiences, our jobs, our money, whatever it is, that we build our lives around other things turning away from God. That's the bad news. That's the condition we're in. That's the position we, even as Christians, return to over and over again. So what is the good news? What's the result? What's the ultimate good that could happen? The ultimate good that could happen is this. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's what we've been talking about in his substitution. He suffered for us. Why? That he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. You see, the good news of the good news, the the core of the gospel is that we get God. The core of the gospel is not just that we're forgiven, but that we get restored, reconciled back to God. And this is true. If you're not a Christian, this is what God wants for you. He wants you to be brought to him. And if you are a Christian, this is true every day of our lives, that the good news that we get is God himself. So a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a friend and they were going through a really hard time and asked Sarah and I to pray for them. And and she said, I'm just struggling with anxiety. It's overwhelming. It's hard. I don't know what to do. It's, It's just, I mean, in tears and just crushed and devastated. And said, just pray for me. And I said, okay, let me read you this chunk of scripture that I'd like you to hear. And it was from Philippians 4. And Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So here's what happened. As I was talking with her, what she was expecting to hear And what many of her friends had told her is here's the advice you need in your bad condition. Who cares what everyone else is saying? Because there was all these kind of family stressors. And who cares what everybody else is saying? Just do what you want. Just follow your heart. Just follow your passions. That was the advice she was receiving from them. That's what will take you out of the anxiety. That's what will take you out of the stress. Just do what you want. Just be happy. 
Don't let them burden you. Coming to me as a pastor, and this woman's not a Christian, she was expecting to hear, and even as we read that passage of scripture that says, pray and entrust, bring your requests to God. She said, oh, okay, so I just need to trust principles to live by. I just need to trust. I just need to pray. And okay, everything will be good. And I said, okay, yeah, that's a piece of it. But there's something else I want you to hear. It's not just passions to follow. It's not principles to live by. It's a person. You see, because what Paul says in Philippians and what Paul and what Peter tells us here is that The peace of God transcends all understanding, not just because you're trusting and praying, but because the way he does that is by guarding our hearts and our minds in Jesus, which means he brings our hearts and our minds to focus in on a person, Jesus, to see what he's done for us, all the things we just described, to see how he's lived for us and died for us and resurrected for us. And that to her was very hard to hear because it wasn't advice. It was news of he's done something for you. There's a person that you can be in relationship with, not just passions and not just principles to live by. See, the good news is that Jesus has brought us to God. And you can think about this in a couple ways. You can think about it like this, which is if you think about a wedding day, And a father is walking the bride down the aisle. And that's good news. He's bringing her to enter into relationship with a person. He's bringing her to a person. Or you can think about it like this. And I think sometimes this is more helpful for guys. It might be helpful for you ladies as well. But I think it's helpful for myself and for other guys. A lot of times we feel insecure. We feel like, man, I just don't measure up. Just don't cut it. And, and we feel added with that. I'm on the outside. Maybe you, you know, you were always kind of fighting to get in the in group in school, but that never goes away. I want people to like me. I want people to respect me. I want to do well. I want to be well thought of. I want to get on the inside. What Jesus does here is he brings us to the king. He, he takes us and says, you're on the inside. You're with the king. The king is happy with you. The king of the universe is content with you. The king of the universe sets a table for you and you enter into his house. You you don't have to feel insecure. You don't have to try to fight to get people to like you and to accept you and to respect you. Jesus brought you in. Man, that, that hits home for me. So the good news of the good news, the result is that we get God as king, as father, as lover, however you want to think about it, in all the different images that the Bible portrays that in, we get God. So how does that change your life? Paul said at the very beginning what we looked at, let me remind you of the gospel. See, this is something that I'm sure you've all heard if you're a Christian. You've heard the gospel. Maybe if you're not a Christian, This adds some things to fill in the gaps that have been confusing. Paul says, let me remind you of the gospel. What would this change about your life if this got deeper into your soul? It's a question I would want us all to ask. Paul spoke this to people that already knew it, but said, let me remind you about it again. What does it change 
If you already believe this, what would believing it deeper change in your life? If you don't believe this, does it sound like good news to you? Does it sound like good news to know that you can be brought to God not because of what you do, but because of what he's done? That out of the worst condition, he enters into that to bring you into the best. And so when we take communion, if you're a Christian, this is a time that we remember the gospel, the good news. That through his death, through his body being broken, represented by the, the bread, through his blood being shed, represented by wine and juice, that Jesus brought us to God. That the debt is gone, the wages of sin is death, and he paid for it. So as you take communion, remember that. Remember, I deserve death, but I get life because he gave me his life. 